What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. What's up, guys? This is PC. You're listening to the Green Room Podcast Series, and our guest today, one of my favorite people on the planet, the superintendent from West Grand School District out in Colorado, Dr. Darren Pepper. How's it going, my man? Uh, it's going well, PC. How are you today, man? I'm doing great, man. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time to be a guest on the show here. All right. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, you know, obviously I'm a big fan of the show and been listening to all your guests, so it's uh, it's an honor to have an opportunity to be a part of it. For sure, man. And so let's just jump right in and tell the listeners a little bit about your history and education. Well, so um, I just completed my 23rd year uh, in education. Um, and kind of an interesting, um, interesting journey and, and interesting balance too. Um, uh, as a uh, as a classroom teacher, I taught uh, both at the junior high school level and then at the high school level in uh, kind of a smaller town in uh, Kingman, Arizona. I taught um, for five years uh, um, physical science at Kingman Junior High, and then I taught for five or six years rather uh, at Kingman High School, and, and there I taught all kinds of different life science. Um, Along the way there, I was I was coaching. Let's see, well, I coached almost everything. I coached football, basketball. I was the head girls basketball coach. Um, I coached tennis, and I even coached baseball one year. So, and for a guy who really wasn't much of a baseball player, uh, for me to coach baseball was a bit of a reach. But uh, um, so, 11 years in Arizona, and then um, kind of felt the call to come back closer to home, and was uh, fortunate enough to. Uh, start my administration career uh, in Rock Springs, Wyoming, uh, as an assistant principal, and and I was an assistant principal in Rock Springs for five years. Um, I did discipline attendance for two years, and then curriculum instruction for three years, um, and then became the principal at Rock Springs High, uh, where I was for six years, um, and then now I just completed my first year as superintendent here in uh, West Grand, uh, down in Kremlin, Colorado. Um, so. There you go. That's 23 years, man. Which, by the way, I have to say is the most beautiful setting for a school district that I've ever seen. It is so great out there. You know, I appreciate you saying that. And, and you know, I, I always laugh about it and, and, and I carry a couple of pictures around on my phone always uh, for folks because uh, for the first 22 years of my career, I didn't have a window. And then when I finally do, uh, and you, I know you had a chance to be here earlier this year, so you saw that view from my window. It's just breathtaking. Absolutely incredible, man. It is. And so you talked about you spent a lot of time teaching and coaching and doing all those things, and then you got into administration. And one of the things that I get asked all the time, you know, there'll be teachers that'll say, well, I'm thinking about getting my administrative degree. I'm thinking about getting into it, but I'm not really sure if I want to do that or not. What would you say are the pros and cons of being an administrator? You know, I think it's kind of a, um, it's an interesting mix. You know, when, when I went into administration, um, you know, I heard some of those, those same questions I'm sure you did too, of, you know, gosh, why would you want to do that? And, uh, you know, for me, I really felt like moving into administration, um, I had an opportunity to impact a whole lot more kids, uh, than I did just simply in my classroom. And, uh, you know, as a classroom teacher, uh, especially at, at Kingman High, we had, you know, 23, 2,400 kids on campus, and I didn't know anywhere close to all of them because, you know, even with, with coaching, I still did not get a chance 
to meet them or impact them or have them impact me. Um, so to me, one of the biggest pros is having that opportunity to, uh, you know, really have this, this broader scope uh, to be able to help kids achieve what, you know, what they want to do or really reach their dreams. Um, the cons, I guess, the biggest con, um, I don't know that I have one. I've been, I've been thinking about this one that, um, you know, it's, okay, okay, I guess I've got a good answer for you here. So uh, I guess if, if I have to come up with a con, I'm going to say, um, and this is something I've, I've always told um, any administrative intern I've had, or assistant principal or principal that I've coached, um, it's never the kids. It's always the adult behavior that gets you. Yeah. Um, the things that keep you up at night, um, it, it's it's some of the decisions that adults make uh, or adult drama, you know, those types of things. And so I guess maybe, you know, that would be a con because as a classroom teacher, I didn't deal with adult drama. Uh, but as an administrator, that's something that does uh, take up a little bit of your time. Makes perfect sense. And so let, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. One of the things that you said was you could impact more kids from an administrative role as you could, as compared to, you know, being an educator in the classroom. And what I see a lot of times, though, from people get into administration and then they spend so much time in their office because they're so bogged down with, you know, discipline issues. And like you said, the adult issues and the things that are going on there. How do you as an administrator make sure that you're still making those time, that time for your kids and those relationships? You know, it's something that uh, I discovered early on, too, that, that first, you know, year or two, um, I felt like I couldn't make it out of my office. And uh, you know what I finally started doing was I became real deliberate with my calendar and just putting time on my calendar to go be in classrooms, you know, or go, you know, spend time with this particular group of kids. Um, you know, when you're in a role like that, um, it doesn't take very long for you to figure out maybe where your presence is, is most needed. Um, and I, I don't mean it's like a behavior deterrent. I mean, just as, you know, this is a group of kids that need a little bit more love. And, and so if you know, you know, hey, here's, here's a group that I, I know I need to be around a little bit more frequently. Uh, I'm going to be intentional about being in a certain place where it doesn't necessarily look like I'm intentional about being there, but, but I'm around quite a bit more frequently. And um, well, I, I've always felt like um, your time is one of those uh, one of those challenges that especially young administrators just really struggle with, um, and you know you you learn very quickly that most most of the disciplinary things and, and you know uh, uh, angry parents and those kinds of things um, that's just firefighting and and those aren't things that necessarily should or or, or that you should allow to dominate your time. You know, you really got to take control of your time and say, here's where I'm going to put my priorities because this is truly where I'm needed. You know, these other things, they can wait, you know. Makes sense, man. That's, yeah, you're exactly right. Those priorities and making sure, like you said, the kids and the relationships, that's at the, you know, the top of that priority list. And so you just finished up your first year as a superintendent. Talk a little bit about, like, what made you want to become a superintendent and then what has this first year been like for you? You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, when I uh, when I started my doctoral program, um, I wasn't necessarily thinking I wanted to be a superintendent. Um, at that time, I was just in the transition between uh, the assistant principalship and the and the principalship, 
And uh, I've always been one who really cares a lot and, and really is excited by uh, curriculum and teaching and learning. And my thought was that uh, the direction I wanted to go uh, was, you know, to kind of focus on maybe being a curriculum director or, or work at the, at the state level in curriculum. And uh, as I went through that doctoral program, um, I think my eyes were opened a little bit more. And, you know, one of my, my bigger passions truly has become leadership and how leadership is shaped and grown and continually impacting um, culture and direction and uh, overall success of organizations. And um, I guess it was another opportunity um, to, to, to really impact more individuals. Uh, as a superintendent, I'm not just impacting uh, the kids, I'm impacting the entire community. And uh, um, that was one of those things that, that I guess I felt like um, as my knowledge of leadership uh, began to grow or continue to grow, um, I felt like, hmm, I think that's, that is a direction I want to go. And, and uh, as for this first year, um, it's been an amazing experience. Uh, you know, when, when I, I made the decision to start looking for superintendent positions, um, I wasn't overly sure um, how I would feel about a really small district. Uh, so, so West Grand School District is about 425 kids. Um, our grand total of employees is just under 80, and uh, it's considerably smaller than anything that I've experienced. Um, but I will say this first year has been incredible. Um, you know, in this kind of a role, a lot of times, especially in bigger systems, you don't have the opportunity to really impact curriculum and teaching and learning. Sure. Um, you don't have as much of an impact necessarily on climate and culture, but a smaller system, I still do. Um, and uh, it's it's been really exciting. It's been it's certainly there's been a you know a lot of growth opportunities. Um, I've never had the opportunity of preparing a budget for an entire district. So, yep. You know, certainly that was something different. Um, and uh, you know, there's some things happening in the state of Colorado as far as school finance. And so, getting involved uh, a little bit at that political level was something that was new for me as well. So, um, it's but it's been real positive. I'm excited about it. Um, I like the direction that we've uh, started to take the district, and um, I know we get a lot of people pretty fired up. That's awesome, man! And you've got a great group of educators there. Had the opportunity to work with them uh, here a few months back, and some just outstanding kids too. And so, I know like you guys are definitely like moving in the right direction. And so you're talking about making an impact and implementing change. And so talk a little bit about, I think this is one of the biggest challenges for anybody in any career field is implementing change and your personal approach on that. Is it an all in kind of thing or are you planting seeds as you go? Like how do you, how do you go about implementing change? You know, I guess I would say I'm a little bit of a mix with that. Uh, you know, I'll plant some seeds early um, but I really am an all-in person. Uh, you know, I, I have a hard time waiting, you know, for things to happen over time. Um, and I think that, that's something that's exciting about a small system because um, large, systems, large systems can take a very long time to turn or, or, or to implement change, where in a smaller system you can, you can really turn things quickly. Um, but, uh, you know, I, one thing I know about change is, uh, it's always very scary for folks. Uh, even those who get excited about change still have, you know, some trepidation 
uh, to, um, moves and changes. Uh, but uh, it's definitely, for me, it's it's got to be all in uh, because when you plant seeds and you only plant seeds, you know, to me, sometimes you don't actually get to see the growth take place or you're looking for tiny, tiny little victories. Um, me, I, I want to see this incredible turnaround in a year, two years, that kind of thing as sure. opposed to a five or 10 year plan. I mean, right. You know, that's, you know, the, the average, uh, you know, career span in, in one given place for a superintendent across the country is like 2.2 years. You know, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to plant some seeds and then have somebody come along in three, four, five years and say, no, let's go a different direction. Exactly. Exactly. I want to get, get it moving. And, you know, you referenced, uh, you know, the educators that I have here, um, they were just, they were just ready for that. And they're really excited about the direction we're going. And so, you know, to, to not go all in, to me, just didn't make any sense. Sure, sure. I love it, man. And so, uh, you know, staying down that same road there, how have you attempted to influence the culture of your district so far? And then what are your plans to do so to continue to do that moving forward? So, you know, the biggest thing uh, from right from day one, uh, when, when I first came on board, and we're basically right at one year at this point in time. Uh, to me, the most important thing was to start with, to establish that culture uh, that was going to be focused on, you know, that that positive support that we're all we're all part of something special, and it doesn't matter your role, student, um, secretary, uh, um, teacher, principal. I mean, fill in the blank, cafeteria worker doesn't matter. Um, we're all in this together, and we all need to be um, pulling on the same end of the rope. Um, so culture change for me, uh, was really that first step. And, um, what I did was, uh, I, I opened it up before everybody even showed up was sending an email to everybody in the district, the uh, school board included, and really outlined to them the term faculty and what it really means to have everybody with equal importance. You know, I've worked in schools before where the faculty were, you know, treated in one way, and then the staff were treated completely different. Sure. Um, and, you know, I certainly saw um, very early buy-in uh, from folks on that, and, and I think they were really excited to, you know, to have somebody come in and say, look, let's, let's, point, this, let's point this all in one direction. Yep. Um, the other thing, too, was, you know, the district that I'm in um, has had a considerable amount of turnover. Uh, in administration, whether that's the superintendent or or the principal, and uh, I had a brand new high school principal uh, when when I arrived, and and what I really wanted to do was make sure that that we were all collectively focused on on what's really truly important. Uh, likewise, the same thing with the board. So working with the board, um, and then ultimately with nearly everyone and bringing the community into the process, um, it was really getting focused on you know a strategic plan. You know what? What is it that we truly value? Um, what is it that we truly expect? Because if we don't know the answer to those things, how in the world do we know we're pointed in the right direction? You know, we, you know, we we can't we can't come in saying, you know, hey, college is what it's all about. Everybody needs to go to college. Right. If you're in a community that really values trades. Yep. Uh, and and actually, that's this is an area where that's very true. College still very valued. Not not trying to downplay college, but. Um, but skilled trades, that's an important element. 
So how do we how do we collectively come up with those beliefs and and really reveal those beliefs? Not necessarily come up with them, but reveal those. And uh, so there was there was some very early on work, and and it really kind of continued through the course of the year with identifying, you know, what is it that we believe in? And and in our district, we really want to believe very strongly in students learning in an authentic context, um, and we really want to focus on getting to higher rigor. And for me, and this is where, I mean, this is where I really felt like what a perfect match, me and, and this district, um, that focus on getting to rigor through relationships and relevancy. Yep. And and really making that shift from regurgitation of, of learning onto a worksheet and, and moving it into an authentic context. It makes perfect sense, man. I love that. And creating that common vision for everyone. And you also mentioned there your high school principal, Liz, and I had the opportunity to mm-hmm. meet her. And man, she's just a rock star. I, I absolutely think the world of her. Yeah. Uh, I've really enjoyed watching her her grow and evolve during the course of this year. Um, you know, she's definitely somebody who she's like me in that she doesn't like change to move slowly. Uh, she wants to, she wants to see a change quickly, and and she wants to be able to see the tangible results of the work that she's putting in. Um, you know, she cares a great deal about her kids and about her staffily, and um, she uh, has a lot of energy. Yep. And I know she's she's made some really um, real positive changes. Uh, she's doing some things with uh, with the physical structure of the building. Uh, I know she was very motivated when when you were here to, and and spoke. Um, she's actually um, in the process. Well, our maintenance uh, team is, but but she developed a plan uh, around uh, her media center to move it from this archaic library to this truly student interactive, student owned, um, welcoming space. Um, and and seeing that work happen over the course of this summer is going to be really, really fun. And I know she's going to bring kids to uh, the Johnson's Renaissance Conference. And, okay. And she comes back. She's going to have kids fired up to uh, start making the school theirs, uh, which which is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, experiencing that conference. We talked a little bit before we got on here. That conference for the first time, it's one of those things that just blows your mind, man. Yeah. Uh, it's it is pretty amazing you know you have these uh you know you have, for me i think it's the 12th time that i've gone and and uh every time you know you you hear or you learn something that that, that you haven't heard before yeah um, but more importantly um you get to see just some incredible excitement uh from young people uh and really fired up educators who you know collectively want to go and 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 impact positively the culture and the climate of their schools yes um, sir to me, I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what you it's know, all I mean, about. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we we talk about getting to rigor through relevance and relationships, and that that's that relationships piece right there. Exactly. Everybody feeling like they're, you know, they're all in it together. So let's shift gears a little bit here, and let's talk about school mm-hmm. safety for a minute. And this yeah. has been at the forefront, you know, in education here with all the crazy things that have happened, you know, and it's been going on for a number of years, but it seems like this last school year was just insane with all, all the emergency situations that we had. And so talk a little bit about school safety and then your approach to creating and maintaining a safe environment for your kids and for your educators. You know, it's uh, to me, school safety is one of those really important elements. And 
Um, I think a lot of times, uh, especially like Utah, you know, over the course of this last year, uh, as media and, and some of those kinds of things, um, it gets boiled down to, you know, just one or two topics, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, armed guards or arming your teachers or, uh, or gun control. And, and, and to me, and I, I don't want to take a political stance by any stretch of imagination, but um, yes, we shifted gears, but at the same time, I'll tell you, it starts with relationships, yep. you know, and, and for me, school safety begins with ensuring that every kid has um, a significant adult uh, in their school that they feel connected to, that they feel like um, that adult knows them, understands them, uh, loves them, you know, and, and when they're when they're gone or when they're down, that adult's going to notice that. Um, you know, to me, that's where it begins. Um, and it uh, continues with ensuring that we have really good, solid connection for our kids and their school. Um, you know, there's a lot of research out there that, that tells you that kids who are well-connected to their school um, have a much higher likelihood of graduating, right. uh, lower likelihood of teen pregnancy, violence, uh, drugs and alcohol. I mean, all those kinds of things. Sure. Um, it's, it's about getting our kids connected to their schools. And, you know, the other side of it, of course, uh, is the, you know, actual physical environment and how do we make sure that, you know, we have a really good control of who's in our building, how they get into our building. Um, but, you know, you look at not all, but most of those, those really tragic events, and th- there are students who yep. you know, either were still going to school or, I mean, the one, the one in Florida was somebody who had just recently been expelled. Right. Um, and that's, that's a tough challenge because, you know, especially when you have those really, really large school districts um, and they have, or large schools rather, and they have, you know, 2,500 students or something like that. It's, it's really hard for people to know everyone and, and to know who belongs and who doesn't belong in your school. Um, so, uh, you know, for me, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but it's, it still stays with the relationships piece, you know, and, and making sure that everybody kind of has shared ownership of, of that faith uh, and nurturing environment in our schools. Um, during the course of this summer, we actually, um, the city of Kremlin just hired a new uh, chief of police. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give him a couple weeks to get his feet on the ground, and then uh, I'll be pulling together um, our county sheriff's office, um, our uh, EMS workers, uh, or at least you know the, the leadership of the EMS folks, um, fire department, uh, uh, police department, that kind of thing. So all the first responders, um, I'm going to be bringing them together um, and working collectively with them around making sure that we have a solid plan. Yeah. Uh, one of the pieces I did this year was uh, work collectively with my leadership team around our emergency operations plan. We went through some pretty intensive uh, training uh, over the course of about a three-month period of time uh, where we learned a lot about all of those elements that go into emergency planning. And uh, so what I want to do is have all of our first responders sitting in a room together, at least the leadership of the, that, those first responders, so that we have a collective, you know, one, proactive view that, that we're all on the same page. And then two, if we do have to move into that, you know, reactive mode, that we have that clear chain of command um, process, all of those elements, all those pieces that have to be in our plan, we're all on the same page. And then 
working with that collective group, deliver quality training to all of our faculty then all also to, you know, make it available to our parents uh, and other community members so that everybody's aware that, you know, hey, in West Grand, we take it serious. Yep. And we're going to do everything we can to uh, keep our kids and our faculty safe. Sure. Sure. I love that, man. And, you know, along those same lines, also coming to the forefront here recently are the social emotional needs of our kids. And so talk a little bit about that. Is there anything like new that you guys are going to implement or what are you guys doing to help address those social emotional needs of our youth? Oh, man, that is such a big topic right now and, and such an important topic. Um, uh, this year, uh, one of the efforts that uh, that I was a part of was was bringing our um, counselors, uh, physical education teachers, um, and leadership uh, team uh, to the table uh, to have some conversation around how we um, how we teach social and emotional health. Um, honestly, at, at the K through five level in our district, I think we do a fantastic job. Uh, a collective effort between. Um, the uh, elementary PE teacher uh, and then our elementary counselor um, actually working, you know, both when kids are in, in PE, but then also the counselor working in the classroom. But unfortunately, that's where it kind of fell to the wayside. Uh, for whatever reason, health education had essentially stopped after fifth grade. And um, we really felt like it was important for, uh, for our kids to uh, really have some understanding around um, those issues of um, anger and conflict um, and uh, um, all those uh, relationship um, experiences that they're going to have at the junior high and high school level. And right, right. How do you work through that? Um, how, do you, um, how do you handle social media, um, bullying, um, harassment? Um, sexting, I mean, all of those, all of those elements that, that tie into their social emotional wellness. Um, we uh, were, were successful getting a grant uh, that's going to bring in a curricular resource for us uh, that we'll be able to use um, that does a lot of really good stuff. Uh, it's actually a partnership with the University of Colorado Boulder. Nice. And um, yeah, and so um, this particular curriculum, they, they delivered some some training for those who will be teaching. Uh, in in those areas um, in sixth through ninth grade, um, but then uh, there's a lot of pieces around um, coping skills, uh, around being just aware of your own social and emotional health, um, and then also uh, conflict management, um, anger, um, substance abuse, uh, all of those. I mean, just really important topics that that all kind of tie together in that uh, social emotional. Um, realm, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, that all tie in there. And, you know, I think one of the things, too, that makes this so difficult, in my opinion, it's harder to be a teenager today than it's ever been in the history of ever. And so these kids are having to deal with so many things. Like, you know, you're talking about social media. Well, we didn't have that when we were teenagers, you know? And there's so many of these outside pressures that they're having to deal with, but then a lot of the adults haven't dealt with those same pressures. And so it's kind of like, how do we figure out how to help them cope with those things that they're having to face on a daily basis, you know? Yeah, it's amazing the the impact that social media has um, on education. And, and, you know, I know we'll probably talk a little bit more about the other side of social media and education, but the challenges that our kids face are so different 
uh, than the challenges that you and I faced. Yep. You know when we were when we were going through, um, you know our our K twelve education. Um, you know I think one of the important pieces with social media is for us as adults uh, to do the best we can to understand it, um, but not not to pretend that we are, you know, I guess proficient in the areas that that our kids. Uh, you know, might be. Uh, sure. You know, I'll give you an example, and this one's probably very quickly becoming outdated too. Um, you know, I'm I'm very very involved uh, on Twitter, right? Uh, and and a little bit on Facebook, but um, Snapchat, which is one that a lot of our kids are very very busy on, right? Um, I'm not. Um, I do have a Snapchat account, but honestly, other than sending snaps back and forth with my 18 year old daughter. I, I really don't get it yet. Yeah. And and so, you know, we we as educators have to do the best we can to understand what's out there. Sure. So that we can then educate our kids. Um, but it's, you know, the the thing for me, as much as understanding the technology and what's actually happening out there, it's it's about decision making and helping our kids understand, you know, what it takes to make good decisions, and you know, how to understand those consequences that go with both making good decisions and making bad decisions. Yep. You know, how do you, you know, how do you take that next step forward and either repair something that you've done or, you know, be successful without putting yourself in a, in a situation where people look, look at you in the wrong way. Exactly. Exactly. And in today's society, social media, that's our resume, you know, and trying to get kids to understand that that that's their digital footprint. That's the resume. That's the thing, you know, when I was coaching college baseball and a kid wants to come play at the school, the first thing I'm doing is I'm getting on their social media accounts because I want to see what they're all about. Not when I'm standing in front of them and they're talking to me and they're blowing smoke, but what are they really all about as a person? And so trying to convey that, and it's not just kids. I mean, there's adults that put things, put things on social media too. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like, are you serious right now? But you know, let's, continue down this road with social media here and you talked about being super active on Twitter and I love it. And I think so many educators, everybody's on Facebook, right? And they see that as a way to, you know, this is what I'm going to eat tonight and this is what we're doing this weekend and, and all that good stuff. And so I think a lot of times they don't see the need for other social media platforms. Talk about the importance of of Twitter and anything else that you might use and how that's impacted you from an educational standpoint. Um, I will tell you, uh, to me, Twitter is the absolute best free professional development you'll ever find. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when I first opened my Twitter account, oh, and I think it's probably been, I'm going to guess it's been seven years. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was. Um, you know, I remember thinking, I don't want a Twitter account. You know, I, I don't care where Paris Hilton going to dinner or, right. you know, some other Hollywood, you know. I mean, and that's what it was at the time. But but what's what what is amazing is, and I'm sure this is true in other walks, but but in education, uh, it's become this incredible platform to not only share your beliefs, but more importantly, to align yourself with others yeah. who think like you or who, you know, are, are very creative thinkers or, you know, just give you an opportunity to to just share thoughts and, and to be able to. You know, I use it as a think tank, to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm scrolling through Twitter all the time and, you know, I, I follow certain hashtags and, and, you know, I, I share some thoughts every day too, but, um, this, I think, I think for me, Twitter has been this incredible tool to grow 
my personal learning network. And I'm connected with I'm connected with thousands of of amazing educators all over the country. Yeah. And um, I, I've been very fortunate during during the course of my career through you know through through a few different things to actually be able to meet a lot of them in person. That's awesome. Uh, where I think a, a lot of the folks that that we follow on Twitter will never meet them, but but I've been I've been somewhat fortunate there. But um, you know to uh, to hear the thoughts of you know the the daily thoughts of of folks like uh, Danny Steele, um, George Kuros, uh, Dwight Carter. Um, Boy, the list goes on and on and on. Um, you know, people who are truly out there on the leading edge yeah. of leadership and education. Um, it's it's an amazing, amazing opportunity that I think a lot of people still aren't fully aware of. Sure. Uh, just the amount of uh, of impact that you can have. I I, I worked with. Um, an incredible band instructor, uh, Brian Redmond. And uh, it, when I was in Rock Springs, I was fortunate enough to hire Brian. And um, as a band instructor, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think Twitter's an incredible resource, but what he has learned and, and done to grow himself and, and to grow his own brand through Twitter is, it's amazing uh, <laughs> to see. And, and if a band instructor can do that, well, why can't a science teacher? Why exactly. can't a grade teacher? And why exactly. can't why can't a principal? You yep. Know? Yep. So, yeah, yeah. I, I love that man. And so, social media, cell phone usage. Let's go to the student perspective now, because so many schools mm -hmm. and, and just districts in general, you know, they're putting all these blocks on, and you can't go to YouTube, and you can't get on Twitter, and you can't get on Instagram, and you can't do all yeah. those types of things. You know, what's your personal philosophy on that? How do you approach that? How do you handle your kids in terms of cell phone policy and usage during yeah. the school day? You know, I'll be honest with you. I probably, you know, I hope I don't fall in the minority here, uh, but I think I might. Um, my belief with uh, with with student cell phone use and and uh, social media sites and that kind of stuff uh, while they're at school, why would we take that away from them? Right. We don't take it away from our adults. And you know, if we if we are going to treat our adults a certain way, but and our kids a different way. What's the message? Right. You know, exactly. You know, again, we're all in this together. So, you know, I've I've be, I believe for a very long time that, you know, <laughs> reality is every one of our kids, probably from about fourth or fifth grade up, every single one of them got one in their pocket. Yep. You know, so what if instead of finding ways to punish them or take them away from them, what if instead we find ways to educate them? Sure. And help them use the most amazing tool that, that education has seen probably since, I don't know. I don't even know. I mean, right. to me, it's probably the most powerful tool. I, I yep. can't come up with it with a corollary. Um, you know, you and I were, were talking a little bit ago when we first started this conversation of, of social media about how much different it is now versus when we were in school. Um, when we were in school and we had to do a research paper, we had to go look at an encyclopedia. Right, right. I mean, my 18-year-old doesn't even know what an encyclopedia is. She has no clue. She doesn't know what a card catalog is. You know, I mean, so when, when I talk with teachers, and I, and I do frequently, about student cell phone use, and we still have a number who are, well, what are we going to do to punish them for their cell phones? Like, we're not going to do anything. Yeah. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do a better job in the classroom of engaging our students. Exactly. You know, if, if we do that, if we can make our educational opportunities so relevant so rigorous and so engaging 
Did our kids forget the cell phones in their pocket? That's what it's all about. Yeah, that's when you're winning. And exactly. And if, you know, if, if you're worried about what am I going to do to make these kids put their cell phones away, you know what? Let's let's start with what you're doing in the classroom. That's exactly right. Worry about some consequence because that's not going to make any difference. You know, I mean, consequences are not a deterrent. Instead, we need to use them as a learning tool because, holy cow! I mean, every every yes, no, multiple choice question on the planet can be answered in their hand in like a tenth of a second. Exactly. So exactly. We, we as adults, we got to change the way we teach because the way our kids learn is different. And so that's, as you can tell, I get on a bit of a soapbox on this topic. I love it. I love it. um, I just really feel like, you know, our job as educators, we can't still be teaching like people taught in 1987 when I graduated from high school. Exactly. Exactly right. Completely different. Different 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 world. world. Yeah. And so let's let's dive a little bit deeper on that because you hit on something that I think about all the time. The answers to so many questions are right there in our pocket on our cell phone. Right. And so Mm -hmm. why do we need to teach something that I can just look up on my phone? What is your philosophy on that? And how do we change? Like we talked about the instruction. How do you change the instruction in the classroom, knowing that resource that we have there right in our pocket at our at our fingertips? Yeah. So instead of instead of focusing on students just regurgitating information and moving on, which is what that old paradigm is. Yep. um, Because the information is right there. um, Instead. The focus we should have as educators is not teaching them necessarily knowledge of content. That's important. Content's important. I'm not, I'm not saying it isn't. But instead, let's teach them how to use it. Let's teach them how to apply it to everyday life, to whatever they may do as they go forward. Um, this is you know, back to something we had talked about earlier with, with gaining rigor through relevance and relationships. Um, a big focus for us in West Grand uh, is moving next year across the board to project-based learning. And the, and the concept behind using project-based learning is, first, giving students some voice and some choice in how they demonstrate their learning, as opposed to, you know, regurgitating something on a scan prompt. You know, instead, let's allow them to be creative. You know, when you, know, you and I, in our, in our work life, it's not, here, go do this you know, and then move on. You know, we have to be creative. We have to think differently. So we want to really make sure that we're pushing students to think a little bit differently. It also, I think, pushes adults a little out of their comfort zone. For sure. Learning as the process goes. And, you know, what better way for us to demonstrate what we want our kids to do than for adults to have to learn too, you know? we we're no longer the the purveyor of knowledge, the sage on the stage. We can't be, because um, again, like you said, it's answers right there in their hand. Yep. So, you know, for me, you know, taking that information, you know, whether that's you know through social media, through um, blogs, through um, creation of websites, to, you know, presentations in front of authentic audiences. Uh, you know, people within their community are actually out into the community making presentations. Yeah. To me, that's that's how you take that information in a box and you make it real. And obviously, when, when kids have authentic audiences that they have to present to, the stakes are higher. You know, it's not just, you know, regurgitating something to your teacher. It's, you know, hey, here's here's a here's a topic. 
you know, it's a problem. Here's a solution that I propose or that we collectively as a team propose. And, you know, it may actually end up getting used. So. No doubt. No doubt. So let's talk about and let's go like, right into this like real world application like we're talking about with our kids. The same thing holds true, like you said, with us. Like you've got to constantly create and you're thinking about what can I do next and, and your vision for the mm-hmm. future and all that good stuff. And knowing you the way that I do, I know that like this is going to be hard for you to narrow this down to one or two things. But tell me about one or two things that you're most excited about that you're working on for this upcoming school year. Oh, so um, I mean, one of them I, I kind of let the cat out of the bag. Uh, the project-based learning uh, yeah. to me is just so so big. Um, you know, it's an opportunity for you know for us to move from from average to you know off the charts. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's more than just getting our students uh, to see the relevance in what they're learning. I mean, that's obviously a big piece. Uh, but for me, it's also bringing our community into our schools it's uh, it's i mean getting that true engagement from our community and for for our kids out into our community uh, that, that engagement has to go in both directions so i mean that's that's a project i'm super stoked for um, i'm excited to see uh, we've already gone through uh, one one chunk of, of of training we did a three-day seminar with about half of our instructional faculty and the other half uh, will get to do the same thing in august and uh, just to see them developing real-world application and, and quality project-based units um, to roll out in the fall, oh, man, it's super exciting. Um, I guess the other one I would say um, that I'm really excited about right now going forward um, is just continuing our work in culture and climate. Um, you know, we've, we've really kind of scratched the surface this year on what it is that we're trying to build and what that environment should be. Um, We'll take, uh, I mentioned earlier when you mentioned Liz, uh, we'll take a group of kids and a group of adults uh, to the Jocelyn's Renaissance National Conference uh, in the middle of July, and uh, they're going to come back, not only fired up, they're going to come back with a real clear plan of how do we put more of the, the control of our culture and climate in the hands of our kids. Um, you know, I've been, I've been stressing to them that our kids control the culture and our climate already. They just don't know it. So now how do we enlighten them, give them the tools and the leadership skills they need in order to shift that culture where they want it to go anyway? Yep. Uh, those, those are probably the two biggest things. I mean, it, I mentioned earlier, you know, a, a school safety initiative that, that I'll be working on um, during the course of the year. And um, I focus so much this year on teaching and learning um, and on professional development for uh, for our instructional faculty, uh, then I'm probably going to put a lot of effort uh, onto uh, uh, the operations side uh, and working with uh, uh, with my um, uh, maintenance director, um, facilities director, um, technology director, HR, finance, uh, and just really working to streamline some of our operations. But uh, really, culture, climate, and project-based learning, those are the two big ones. Never a dull moment, right? That's right. I, you were right. I couldn't narrow it down to one or two. I knew. I, I knew better. It. I knew better. Well, Darren, man, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you. I love you. I think the absolute world of you, man. You're, uh, you know, you're one of those people that get it, you know, and it's always refreshing to me to connect with you, whether it's on social media or over a text message or Coming up here in a couple of weeks when I get to see you in person, you're one of those people that you inspire me to keep fighting that good fight, man. And I just appreciate everything that you're doing for the world of education, buddy. 
man, I, I really appreciate it, PC. Like, like I said at the beginning, you know, it's a real honor to have an opportunity to do this. And, and uh, you know, you're uh, likewise, I mean, you're one of those people that, uh, you know, I, I follow closely and keep in touch with and, and don't just consider you, you know, kind of a kind of an education hero, but but also a, a good friend. I, I love you, brother. And I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, man. Guys, you've been listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a big favor and subscribe to the podcast and then go share it with an educator that you think might enjoy it as well. Chase your dreams, kids. Thank you.